with me. Heavenly Father, as we continue in your presence, I, I pray that that song that we just sang would be the desire of our hearts, that um, we want to follow Jesus, that we want uh, to know Jesus. Father, I know as we gather together today that there are many of us who come into this room carrying different burdens, different um, things that are weighing us down. But like that song says, which kind of brings together a lot of things that the Apostle Paul said, said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And how he was talking about how he can have a lot or how he can have a little, he has learned to be content in anything and everything because of the strength that you give us. And so, Father, for those that are hurting today, I pray that you would just lay that message on their hearts, that they can keep going and can take that next step as they follow you because of the strength that you provide to us. Father, on our own, we're, we're lost and without hope. There's nothing that we could do, but because of who you are, because of what you've done, because of the gifts that you've given to us through the work of your Holy Spirit, when we can't go on, you pick us up and carry us. Father, I'm thankful for those who are around us too that bring us encouragement as well. Help us to know that we're not in this alone. And may we, we rejoice today in the hope that we have because of Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would meet us where we are. I pray that as we spend the next few minutes in your word today, that you would just encourage us and challenge us for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus to be the people that you've called us to be, to live out the mission that you've given to us, recognizing that we have a huge role to play in the growth of your kingdom. So thanks for the privilege of being able to serve you in that way. Thanks for the time that we've had to worship you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. It is good to see everyone this morning. Um, I didn't introduce myself earlier, so if you are a guest with us and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. So we're just excited that you guys um, have chosen to worship with us this morning to be a part of, um, obviously, a really exciting um, Sunday as well. And so if you are a guest with us today, um, we would love to connect with you. And the easiest way to do that is to text the word welcome to 817-755-1668. Sometimes it's on the screen, um, but it is uh, on the sticker in front of you. You'll be able to find it there. I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning. For those of you that are watching on our service online, thanks for tuning in there as well. We'd love to have you um, join us in a service at some point in the next few weeks, but we're glad that you've um, joined us online. I would say this. Think about this. If you are new with us, or if you're newer with us, I mean, I would encourage you to lean in. Uh, lean in to, to learn more. Um, lean in to be a part of a group. I know we've got lots of new folks that have been around over the last couple of months, and, um, and I know it's like sales pitch, but listen, it's not a sales pitch. Like, get involved somewhere, because that's how you're really going to grow. Um, that's how you're going to get to know people, and I promise you, when you lean in, growth happens in a different way than just what happens when you show up on Sundays. And so um, 
If you have questions about how to get connected after the service this morning, I'll try to make my way out really fast. I was thinking about what's the end of the service today. What am I going to do? I'll try to make my way out there. We'll have some folks at the connect wall. You can meet us out there. We'll answer any questions that you have about groups or serving or just different ways to get connected um, because there are always opportunities to jump in um, right away. And so um, we'd love for you to be a part of that. As we get started with the message this morning, I've actually got something I want you to think about um, with me for just a second, okay? So think about this. What are the chances that something is going to happen that would cause you to act on that thing? You follow me? What are the chances of something happening? I'll give you a couple examples in just a second. What are the chances, though, of something happening that would cause you to act on that thing? Okay, here's one example. Okay, if you knew that on a given day you were going to be outside all day, what would the percent chance of rain have to be for you to say to yourself, I have to take an umbrella with me? Okay, would it be 40%? Would a 40% chance of rain cause you to say, I'm taking an umbrella? Maybe 50% chance of rain. You're going to be outside all day. All day, no cover, no nothing, 50% chance of rain. Would that cause you to bring an umbrella with you? I bet most of us would say, man, if there's a 50% chance of rain, just in case, I'm going to take an umbrella and then it's probably not going to rain. But what if the chance was 82%? I'll give you another one. What if somebody told you that there was a 10% chance that you are going to win the mega millions in the lottery? If there was a 10% chance that you were going to win, would you play? Probably most of us would. What if there was a 25% chance that you were going to win the mega millions? How much would you play the lottery at that point? Now, i got to tell you my background. Okay, Some of you guys know this. I grew up in church, church family, in a Baptist church. And in the Baptist church, one of the things that was at the top of the list of of things that Christians cannot do is gamble in any form, which would include the lottery. But, like, it's really weird thinking about it. Like, probably number one on the list of things that Christians can't do is dance, followed by number two, which is gamble. But I will tell you this, if somebody told me, hey, there's a 50% chance that you're going to win the mega millions, you know what? At that point, it is ordained by God. I am playing the lottery. But what if, what if there was an 82% chance? Okay, now think about this. What would the percent chance have to be if someone were to say yes to being invited to church, what would the percent chance have to be for you to extend the invitation? 50%? Now maybe you think it's, you'd like it to be a little bit higher. So maybe for you, it's like 75%, 75% chance of someone saying yes to an invitation that would cause you to extend that invitation to church. What if it were 82%? Part of the reason I keep using that figure of 82% is that according to research from Tom Rainer, who was the head of LifeWay Research, 
his findings are that 82% of people are at least somewhat likely to say yes when they're invited by a friend or a family member uh, to attend church with them. 82%. But yet at the same time, though the chances are really high, many people never extend the invitation. Lots of different reasons for that. Lots of different reasons that in spite of the potential rate of success being 82%, lots of reasons why people never extend that invitation. Some people say the reason they don't invite others to church is they don't want their worlds to collide. Right? We have this tendency to kind of live compartmentalized lives where you know we've got our, our, our work people over here, our church people over here, maybe our, our neighborhood people are like our real friends over here, and we don't want these two worlds, these maybe three worlds to collide because we know it would disrupt the metaverse um, if that actually happened. I don't know why we think that, but that's some people, that's what they say. They don't want their worlds to collide. Another reason that people don't invite people to church is because they say they don't have all the answers, which I think is one, like, I really think this is a manufactured excuse in our own minds. I'm not saying that we just, like, make it up. I think it's manufactured. Why is it that we think, well, if I invite somebody to church, the response that I'm going to get is, okay, I'll come, but first, you have to explain to me the ages in the early part of the book of Genesis. Like, help me to understand how Methuselah could live 969 years. Like, are we supposed to take that literal? And if that's the case, like, tell me how that works. Listen, nobody's doing that. If you invite somebody to church, they're not going to be like, hey, tell me about Methuselah. How does that work? Because it doesn't make sense to me. Nobody's doing that. But yet, that's what we think in our minds. Another reason that people don't invite um, friends to church is because they say it's too crowded. Now, for us, thankfully, that is not an excuse that's on the table for us. Two years ago, about a month before COVID, we opened this facility, which had enough space for us to grow into. And, you know, in a lot of ways, over the last two years, it served us very well because we didn't have to think about, okay, how do we add extra services and do all this stuff, the social distance and all of that, because we've had plenty of space. But now I think it's time for us to figure out how to fill up all the space. So that's not an excuse. Another reason, and I think this is maybe the most legitimate one to me, a reason that people don't invite folks to church is a fear of rejection. And certainly I understand that. You think in the back of your mind, if you invite a friend or family member, they're going to say, like, why would you even think that I would be interested in attending church? And I get that. Maybe my rebuttal to that thinking is, you got to remember, the 82%. Chances are pretty high that they're going to say yes. The last reason that people don't invite others to church is they say that they just don't think about it. They just don't think about it. And to me, this one's like really sad, but I understand it. I really do. Because I think we all have a tendency to just kind of get focused on our own stuff, our own things, our own problems, the things that we have to deal with, the things that are urgent in our lives, and we don't think about the important things, which is part of what God has called us into, being a part of the growth of his kingdoms. So we just don't think about it. In fact, 
I was talking to a, a couple of pastor friends a few years ago. We were having this conversation, and both of them said they feel like they're better at personal evangelism when they're reading a book on personal evangelism. Why? It's not magic. It's just they're reading this book, and it is encouraging them to think about sharing their faith with other people, right? It just brings it to the forefront of their thoughts. So often we just get stuck on our own stuff, and we just don't think about it. 82%. That's the number of people who said that they would be at least somewhat likely to say yes if invited. And do you know the day that more people will attend church than any other day in the entire year? Easter. So over the next couple of weeks, we have the incredible opportunity to be thinking about who we can invite to a service, knowing that there's a high likelihood that they will say yes. Now, I want to tell you this up front. It is not just about inviting people to church. Because for those of us who are followers of Jesus, ultimately what we want to do is invite people to Jesus. Um, But oftentimes just inviting people to church, to a service, might be a great first step. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the story of some friends who brought a man to Jesus. We're going to be challenged by their story. It's found in Luke chapter 5. It's Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Um, so if you've got a Bible, I would invite you to turn there. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. I'll, I'll read it here in just a second. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, it will be on the screen behind me. Or um, if you are a version Bible app user, um, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. One of the things that is in there is a link to our daily devotional reading. Many of us in the church this year are reading through the entire Bible, which might sound like it's super intimidating, but it's like, I don't know, three or four chapters. If you listen to it, it's, I don't know, 15 minutes a day, which when you think about it that way, 15 minutes is not long at all, um, and you'll, you'll learn some really cool stuff. And so there's a link in that live event to join our um, daily reading. There's a little bit of a commercial. So commercial break is over. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17, listen to this story of these friends. One of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on a stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and Pharisees who began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up, what they had been, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, We have seen incredible things 
today. So here's what I want to do. I want to first just make some observations about what's happening in that passage and these friends who desire to bring their friend to Jesus. And then what I want to do is give some methods, some ways to think about how we can become more like those friends, especially as we think about Easter coming um, here in just a couple of weeks. So this, this event, I mean, it's relatively straightforward. We find Jesus is teaching one day. He's teaching in a home, and it's really crowded. In attendance that day were lots of religious leaders and teachers. And then there are these friends who desire to bring this paralyzed man to Jesus. And the first thing that I see in this passage that is so interesting to me is what it says about their intent in bringing him to Jesus. Because it simply says that they desired to set this paralyzed man before Jesus. So notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that they were going to bring him in front of Jesus and ask for a miracle. It doesn't say they wanted to to bring him in there and... um, do anything after that. They, they, they weren't asking Jesus for anything. Their intent was just set him in front of Jesus. And what this indicates to me is that they believed in Jesus's compassion or his power or whatever it was, so much so that if they just got this man in front of Jesus, that something good was going to happen. And then I am so struck by this. There's no pretense in their coming. There was no intent to ask any question or demand anything, make any kind of request at all. It was simply, if we can set him in front of Jesus, something is going to happen. What would it be like if all of us believed that much in the power of Jesus? Second thing that I think is really interesting about this event and the, the, the friends is that they refuse to let any obstacles stand in the way. They refuse to let any obstacles stand in the way. So they bring their friend on a stretcher and near this home. And I mean, you got to picture this in your mind, this scene, that homes are small. And so there was likely people all over the inside of the house, likely people on the outside of their house trying to listen in, leaning into windows, doing all of this stuff. And there was no way that they were going to take this man on a stretcher and navigate their way through the crowd of people and get him in front of Jesus. But when they saw the crowd of people, they didn't say, well, I guess we've lost our chance. We'll just go home. This wasn't meant to be. They refused to let any of those obstacles stand in the way, and they, they began to develop plan B. They said, let's go to the roof. Homes in, in the day of Jesus were often built with flat roofs. It was almost like outdoor living space. You'd go up there in the evening, catch the evening breeze and cool off, um, things like that. And so there was often a, a staircase on the outside of the home that would lead up to this roof space. And so it would have been really easy for them to navigate up to the roof, but then once they got there, that's where things were challenging. Because the roof was held up by some large wooden beams and then often would have smaller uh, wood 
trusses or, or lattices almost uh, that would go across the, the large beams, and sometimes it would be filled with mud. In some cases, there were mud tiles that were there, and that seems to be what uh, is being described here is that the roof was made of mud tiles, but it's not a drop ceiling. You can get the tiles out really easy. Um, it, it's a solid structure because this, like people, again, like had some outdoor living space up there. But in spite of the challenges that they faced, they refused to let any obstacle stand in the way. Third thing that I think is really fascinating to me about this passage of Scripture is what Jesus said. He said when he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. It was the faith of the friends, their faith that caused Jesus to act. Okay, now think about this event being on the inside. All of a sudden, you hear some pounding on the ceiling, right? Dust and dried mud begins to fall down. And then all of a sudden, there is a hole in the ceiling and a man begins to be lowered down through the ceiling. You just wonder why security didn't step in at some point. Maybe, maybe it did. Maybe that's the, the role of the disciples at this point. They're like security guards. And so one, you know, like a secret service agent goes up to Jesus and like tackles him, you know, not knowing what's happening. Others are, are pushing the man back up through the roof. But eventually he is lowered down in front of them. And then it says, in seeing their faith, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now that phrase, their faith, should really cause us to stop and say, hey, well, wait a minute, what is happening here? And the reason I say that is because of the way that we often think about faith in such individualistic terms. Right? It's my faith that allows me to have a relationship with God. I have trusted Jesus as my personal Savior. That's often how we describe faith in very individualistic terms. It's my decision. Jesus is my Savior. Those kinds of things. But yet here we see Jesus recognizing their faith. Now when it says their faith, that doesn't mean that the paralyzed man didn't have faith. Language says he, he could be included in there, but at the very least, if he is included with their faith, we also recognize it's the faith of the friends. So for somehow, in some way, when Jesus sees this man being lowered, it is because of their faith that Jesus chooses to act. And again, think about this. How could God use your faith to lead your friend to Jesus. It's their faith. The last thing I think is really interesting about this is that ultimately what we find is that it is Jesus alone who can forgive sins and transform lives. So we get into the second half of the passage, really, and there begins to be this argument. And a lot of it's internal, but Jesus understands what's happening in the minds of these religious leaders because they think when he says, your sins are forgiven, they, they say, well, wait a minute, who does this guy think he is? Because only God can forgive sins. And as we read that, we should say, yeah, that's the point. 
Only God can forgive sins. It is Jesus who is the Son of God, God in the flesh, and he does, in fact, have the authority to forgive sins. In fact, he is the only one who has the authority to forgive sins and transform lives. That was the entire point of these friends bringing this paralyzed man to Jesus because they knew that this man's life could be transformed because of the power of Jesus. It is only Jesus that can forgive sins and transform lives because he is the Son of God, God in the flesh. It's because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross that our sins can be forgiven. He died in our place, taking a punishment that was meant for us so that we could have a relationship with God that should change everything about us and last forever. It's only because of Jesus that we can be forgiven and our lives can be transformed. So it's the story of these friends who bring their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus, and his life is changed forever. And so the question is, how do we become more like those friends who, in spite of the obstacles, they refused to give in, and they made sure that their friend got in front of Jesus? How can we become more like those friends? Let me give you three methods this morning. Three ways to think about this. And here's the reason I'm doing this. Maybe you get something out of all three of the methods. You learn a little bit of something. Maybe that's the case. Maybe you gravitate towards one more than the other. But here's the deal. I want to give you something that would cause us to begin to think, okay, this is something that I need to be doing so that we're not some of those people who think, well, I just didn't think about it. So how do we get this into the forefront of our thinking? Three methods. The first is the BLESS principle. The BLESS principle. So it's a five-step method um, in bringing your friends to Jesus. The first, B, begin with prayer. So who are you praying for? Who is that person that God has brought into your life that you have the unique opportunity to lead to Jesus? Are you praying for them? Praying specifically for them. Praying that God would open their hearts to, the, to their need for Jesus. Praying that God would give you opportunities to enter into a spiritual conversation with them. The B is begin with prayer. L is listen. So listen. Listen to people's stories. Listen to, to where people are in their lives. Listen to, to what people are struggling with. And then listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit, how he guides you that, you know, maybe you can enter into a spiritual conversation with them or, or maybe to help meet some of those needs. So uh, B, begin with prayer. L, listen. E is eat. Eat with people. You may think, like, why is this such a big deal? I don't know why it's a big deal. But the, the reality is, and I don't know why this is the case, but food is a relationship builder. When you eat with people, you're not just acquaintances anymore. Like, that's how you've entered into the friend zone, is when you eat with people. Now, some of you might be thinking, man, I'm so busy. How in the world do I ever have time to do this? A friend of mine said something to me a couple of years ago that was incredibly profound and has changed my life. He said this, everybody's got to eat lunch. So maybe that's the way to do it, that you eat with people who need to know Jesus or maybe get connected to a church or something like that, like one day a week, instead of eating at your desk or doing whatever it is that you do, you make a point to eat with somebody, somebody that you work with. I know we have lots of families in our church that 
are heavily involved in sports and things like that, maybe incorporate it into your sports weekend. Like as you're in between games or in between places, you just invite some of the, another family to go eat with you. Build those relationships that way. So that's E, eat. Um, S, the first S is serve. So as you're listening to people, listening where people are, listening to the needs that people have, it's seek to find ways to serve them. And so maybe as you hear some of their story, there's a practical need that they have that you could help with um, and, and serve in that way. Also at the same time, maybe the service that you can provide to somebody is just praying for them. Right? When you hear somebody's need, a, a difficult situation that they're going through, you just go to them and say, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And you actually do it and then follow up too because maybe that's what opens the door to the last S, which is share, share your story and share Jesus. I believe that the greatest tool in sharing our faith with other people is simply sharing the stories of what God has already done for us. The reason I say that, it used to be that in a lot of evangelistic methods or methods of sharing your faith, it was, hey, let me take the Bible and show you what the Bible says about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, but the reality is for a lot of people, we could go through the end of that process, hey, here's what the Bible says, and people would say, well, that's great. I'm glad the Bible says that, but I don't believe the Bible. Experience is a huge factor in our culture today. The experiences that people go through. Oftentimes there's more truth viewed as being more truth in an experience than in a fact. Nobody can argue with your experience. If God has changed your life, people will begin to think, well, maybe God can do the same thing in my life too. So that's the blessed principle. The second methods, two words, two words that were popularized by Andy Stanley, who's the pastor of uh, North Point Church in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Like their um, strategy is built off of this. Two words, invest and invite. First is invest. And so part of this is the reality that God has placed people into our lives that we have the unique opportunity to point back to Jesus. And so it's bringing some intentionality into building that relationship a little bit. And it's not manipulative. I think it's, again, it's one of those things that just brings to a level of consciousness the relationships that we already have. Because I do think sometimes, especially those of us who are really involved in church, it's really easy to feel like we're isolated or all we know is church people. I don't think it's really true. But we can feel that way sometimes. And so as we begin to think, okay, invest, we're thinking, who has God placed in my life? Is it somebody at work? Um, maybe somebody in our neighborhood? Or again, somebody, you know, another set of parents on the sports team, whatever it is, there are people around us that we're already in relationship with in some way that we just need to invest in a little bit more. And maybe God would give us the opportunity to take the next step of the two words, and that is invite. So as we're investing in building relationships with people who need Jesus, then the second step is invite, invite people to church, and ultimately invite them to Jesus. And so again, in, invite people to church, invest in their lives, build a relationship with them, invite them to church, but maybe even more so invite to Jesus because ultimately that's what we want to do. We want to see Jesus change their lives. The last one is just a simple phrase. 
Simple phrase to be thinking about. Just walk across the room. Just walk across the room. Again, behind this phrase is the reality that God has placed people in our lives that he's given us the privilege of sharing Jesus with. Uh, that God has placed people in our lives that we can be pointing back to Jesus. And so for many of us, maybe it is just a walk across the room to say to somebody, hey, I'm praying for you. It's just a walk across the room to hear somebody's story. It's just a walk across the room to build a relationship with someone. It's just a walk across the room to share your story, and maybe God uses your story to lead that person to faith in Jesus as well. And so sometimes it is a little bit scary, and I understand that. But that's where I go back to the story of these friends who dug a hole in a roof, not really sure what was going to happen, but they weren't going to let anything stand in their way because they wanted to set their friend in front of Jesus. If they got him there, then something good was going to happen. And so remember, 82%. That's the chances that somebody's going to say yes if you invite them to a service. I don't want us to be those people who say, man, I just don't think about it. Because God has given us the privilege of being a part of what he's doing in the lives of people around us. So very specifically, kind of my challenge for us today is to be thinking over the next couple of weeks, okay, who are those people that God has placed in my life? I want to be praying for them regularly. I want to be inviting them to Easter, right? It's the day that more people attend church than any other day in the entire year. But maybe through that process, as we're thinking about it, that God would allow us the privilege of sharing our story and seeing those people come to faith in Jesus and their lives change forever. 82%. That's what I want you to think about today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would, um, just over the next couple of weeks, guide us in terms of what you're doing in the lives of people around us. Help us to see the opportunities that, they are, that are always in front of us, but maybe that we just don't see because we're not looking or we're not thinking about it. So Father, with whatever method it is, if it's we want to seek to bless people, or it's invest and invite, or if it's just to walk across the room, I pray, God, that you would do something to remind us of the privilege of being able to point people back to Jesus. And may we be like the friends that we looked at this morning who wanted to take this paralyzed man, set him down in front of Jesus because they knew that it was in his presence that a life could be changed forever. Thanks for reaching into our lives and opening our eyes to our need of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would do the same thing with those that we are in relationships with. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to finish the service this morning by celebrating communion together. So we've got some folks that are around the room that have baskets to pass out your communion elements. It's Jesus who has the authority to forgive sins and transform lives. And it's this communion meal that Jesus instituted that reminds us of what he has accomplished for us through his death on the cross. And so if you are a follower of Jesus with us this morning, we invite you to participate in this time. Um, it's celebrating the work of Jesus and a reminder that the only hope that we have 
is Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. The first element that we have is the element of the bread, which represents Jesus's body, which was broken for us. And then the elements of the cup that represents his blood that was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. And so Cody's going to lead us through this song here in just a second. And as you have those elements, maybe you just want to meditate on the significance of this event and what Jesus has done for us. And then as soon as you're ready this morning, um, you can partake of those elements together. But let me pray for us once again. Lord Jesus, thank you for willingly leaving the glories of heaven and coming to this earth and taking upon yourself the form of a servant, human flesh invading our world. Thanks for being obedient to the will of the Father, where you laid down your life for us on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have a life-changing relationship with you that lasts forever. Help us to never take that for granted. Thanks for your blood that was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.